The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Garay, TJ Beter, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday. It's time to sit back and enjoy another edition of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. But before we get this party started, just a reminder that registration for the Solvang Gathering in picturesque Solvang, California is now open and the event will be held January 9th through 12th, 2020. Visit the Solvang Gathering's Facebook page for more info. And Sandy Paws, great fun in the sun's 2020 dates are March 11th through March 15th. The event will be held at Villas by the Sea Conference Center on beautiful Jekyll Island in Georgia. It is a fantastic location. For more info, be sure to visit the Sandy Paws website. And for all of us locals here in the Phoenix area, on Saturday, November 2nd, the 29th annual Arizona Adopt-A-Greyhound Reunion at Para Park in Tempe, AZ. The event runs from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and there will be a fun run, games, shopping, and oodles more. Aggie also has greyhounds available for adoption, so you may just meet your new BFF. Plan to spend the day in the park and support greyhound adoption. Now, we have a great show for you today. Joining us live from Abilene, Kansas is Michael Strickland, third-generation greyhound breeder. Mike will help us better understand the social upbringing and careful breeding selection of greyhounds, as well as we will all be discussing some of the concerns, myths, and incorrect facts, and facts had those little quotes around it, that are often misused when regarding greyhound racing and greyhound dogs in general. So, with that... My babbling is done for the day, and um, thank God. Oh, just stop it because I can make your life worse. I'm turning it over to Rory and TJ. Why? Thank you, TJ. How we doing? Hi. How are you? Oh, we're hanging in there. It's Friday. Friday. Although you know, it just means we're that much closer to Monday. Thank well, you. I think probably for our guest, Friday doesn't mean anything different than Saturday or Sunday since he's always dealing with uh, our, our live greyhounds. Exactly. Um, uh, welcome to the show, uh, Mike. Thank you for uh, joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I enjoy it. Yep. Love talking about dogs. So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you're right. My morning's uh, not much different than tomorrow morning or yesterday morning, but um, you kind of have to love animals. So if you do that it kind of comes with part of your life more than your job well that that is you know what you do here a lot that these these dogs aren't loved or they're not socialized with people and anyone who's visited a farm a track you see how much interaction there is with the humans and how often you're there i mean even you know 
holidays. You guys don't get a holiday. You're there with the with the animals. Yeah, they, in some sense, they kind of share the holiday with you. <laughs> and um, it's interesting you brought up holidays. That's one memory I carry with me since I was a child. Is of course at that time we not only had greyhounds, uh, we had cattle on hogs as well, but uh, we didn't snap out of bed opening all the presents and spend three hours listening to Christmas music. Uh, the, the, if we had hired help at the time, they had the day off. So the first thing in the morning was to go outside as a family to take care of the dogs and the animals first. Then we came back in and got to celebrate Christmas for a couple hours, and then we went back outside and finished chores. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you kind of thought it was torture at the time as a kid, <laughs> but then that's something that sticks to my mind 30, 40 years later. So it's, uh, it, you know, it kind of comes with a tradition, you might call it. <laughs> Get up and sing songs, Christmas carols with the greyhounds. <laughs> well, and then on yeah. Thanksgiving, there probably were like zero leftovers because all the dogs got a little treat in their bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings oh, yeah. It was always enjoyable. <laughs> that that brings up for me a memory uh, when I adopted my first greyhound, Alina Maria. We had our Thanksgiving and had the turkey, and I took the leftover turkeys and put it up on the counter and turned around to do some stuff, and then turned back around and the turkey was gone. And looked down mm -hmm. on looked down on the floor, and there she was eating away at the turkey. Well, obviously, things she learned <laughs> when she was on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> She must have been a Strickland dog. Uh, yeah, I think we all probably have these, these great <laughs> memories and stuff, and that kind of sparks something for me. Um, Mike, you, you talk about your childhood and growing up around the not just the, the dogs, but, but other animals and stuff like that, um, which brings me to breeds and, and breeding and stuff. And I'll, I kind of, I'm not sure that any of our listeners truly understand maybe from ground zero about how you how you breed, what what you look for, the traits I guess you would call it. And I'm not even sure they even understand once once you have the puppies, what happens to the puppies from the time they're born, basically even really through the first four years of their lives. So mm -hmm. kind of like you just gave us a little bit of a a synopsis of what your childhood was like. Can you kind of let us know from from the breeding standpoint what happens there and sort of through the lives of the, the greyhounds up until all of us in adoption see them? Okay, that's you just said question. a mouthful a lot. there. Yeah, that, 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 <laughs> I just ate up the show with that question. Um, well, <laughs> there's a baseline of a standard. I think that needs to be understood first and foremost. Now, Greyhound racing, there's a standard that's built into the breed, and that's chase. Um, they love to run. They love to chase after the lure. Um, that's kind of built into the breed. Uh, speed is relative. Um, those are obviously traits that are pretty much built into the breed itself. But there, I think there's a lot of other factors involved in breeding decisions that are probably give, you know, are a bit of a mess with the public. Um, greyhounds have to be very socially mobile. And I guess what I mean by that is through its race career, it's going to be handled by literally hundreds of different people. Obviously, they have their main caretaker and trainer, uh, the trainer's assistants that do the day-to-day -day care of that greyhound. 
But at the track, they'll be examined by veterinarians. They'll be track officials. They'll be handled by lead-outs. So a very important trait in the selection that uh, is, is, I think, partly translates in terms of adoption, that translates very well is the fact that they have to be have a solid, solid temperament. And without that particular type of temperament, they're not they're not going to handle the stress of being thrown into the deep end of the pool, if you know what I mean. And I think I think that's one thing that's kind of overlooked. And and sometimes we look at people as being very thorough, very um, uh, got habits of being eager to clean all the time, but they're under stress all the time. Um, you don't you want a dog that's eager to run, but you don't want one that's over the top. And I think people think, well, we just want to intensify those traits, and actually you can go too far. We call it, you know, the dog being too hyper, uh, too eager, and sometimes that introduces stress into the animal. We actually want a dog that's eager to run, but we want him to be quiet in, in certain climates. And that's something that's very important at the racetrack, more so than even at the farm. Some of that can be controlled with handling and the environment it's in as it's being brought up, but it all starts with genetics from that standpoint. And um, that's that's very interesting I think, because I, I'm not sure that people understand that you breed for more than just speed. You take everything it sounds like into consideration. You do, and and prior to to a pup being born, you're breeding two individuals. So the most you know, the more background you have in those individuals in terms of their traits, that's the more information you apply before you even do that mating. Now, we don't do it on a limb, partly due to financial investment that it takes to raise that dog. And I'm sure you folks have covered that topic in the past. But those kind of investments, need to, those decisions need to be made carefully due to the investment you're making in that animal. And, and, of course, you, those type of decisions will carry through the life of that animal. And I, I think that's, that's a main driver of wanting to produce a very, you know, the layman term I use is, is you want a, a, half, a happy animal born naturally. You don't want to, you can control a lot of that factors in the way you raise it, but you can also be careless if you, bred an over-hyper dog to another over-hyper dog, and no matter how much care you give that dog, it kind of carries that with them. And humans have these traits, too. We just don't look at it the same way. Um, you know, they are what they are kind of thing. But, uh, uh, like I said, I, that, that's something I think find is very important and almost as important as their speed and desire to chase. Mike, you had mentioned about the um, the hyperness in a dog. At what age do you begin to notice that? I mean, do you see it right out of the chute when they're, you know, uh, like six, eight weeks old, or do they have to develop a little more for that to become obvious? I think it comes with their maturity. It, it's it's kind of like when you see a teenager starting to act like an adult, and, <laughs> and he becomes, uh, opposed to playing, he becomes a little more passionate and eager to do something with a degree of seriousness and you, you can call that maturity if you like. I mm-hmm. would call it maturity in dogs. And once they mature that 
that kind of feeling comes out of them. And it is, it, one thing is, it's, it's kind of a good thing, but it's something you want to temper as well. And, and, how, and uh, yeah. is there a way to do that? Or is, uh, are, are some of the, you know, I mean, you see one that's a little hyper, little active, little wee, you know, and uh, partying too much on Saturday night. So do you take yeah. them in hand or do you just kind of feel that, okay, you're going to not, you know, you, you're, you're headed for adoption sooner than you thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, occasionally that does happen, but not, not very often. Like I said, we're dealing with a breed that's been involved in greyhound racing here in the U.S. for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. So the variance of, of not being able to make it to the track uh, to, to having a great animal, it isn't that, that pendulum doesn't swing that far most of the time. Occasionally, yes, but we're not talking about a, a major issue. But look, the difference between an animal that runs very, very well and a good uh, race dog is less than a half a second in most instances. The difference in that half second is not always speed and desire. It often times is in relationship with the trainer and its breeding has to do with a lot of little stress factors along the way. Now, let's just assume that dog's extremely healthy. Um, he's fed well, so on and so forth. If you want an animal that's quiet when he's needs to be quiet and when it's race time he feels really good when it's race time and so you want the animal as comfortable as possible in an environment he's very comfortable with with other dogs he's comfortable being around and of course with people that he's around and people that he's never seen before and 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 so when you have an animal that's in that setting you eliminate those stress factors and you actually can narrow the gap between a great animal and a good animal and a trainer has a lot to do with that. Um, I, I, like I said, most people, I think, out there kind of believe that a trainer is doing some secret potion that he feeds the dogs and makes them faster. Actually, the best trainers I know, they'll often reply by saying, I just take care of good care of my animal. What they're doing on a daily basis is evaluating the dog and constantly making sure that the stress factors are at a minimum and the dog will perform well. And translation of low stress is very happy. Right. And, and uh, one of the things that I grew up understanding and, and, and was grilled into me as a child is when you have your dogs in a pen and you're walking amongst them, you're evaluating how they feel at the beginning of the day. Kind of like if you took your kids out of bed to take them to school and you're sitting at the breakfast table and your son or daughter isn't eating their breakfast real well or maybe just seem kind of quiet, you realize, well, maybe he's kind of getting sick or, you know, something isn't quite right with them. And those are things you're trying to identify on a daily basis. And it's not always, you know, like I said, it, it, it's not always something that it, you did. It's just common occurrence like a cold. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think you've blown a myth right out of the water with everything you just said. And that myth being that these dogs are some, uh, you know, greyhounds are somehow treated differently, badly, incorrectly, because everything you described is what uh, a nor- uh, you know, a, a normal pet owner would do with their new puppy or their new dog. 
you observe it. You you make sure it's healthy. You make sure it's happy. You want it to be the best it can be. Doesn't sound any different for for greyhounds at the farm or in training, now does it? No, I mean it's. Uh, there are a couple of things that that I noticed as as Mike was talking that. I guess being from the field of education, it does kind of remind me, and I'm going going back a little bit to the puppies, uh, then the juveniles, and then the professional racers. It, it just brought sort of an analogy of kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, that type of thing to me. If you were going to compare it, sort of, um, kind of like whenever they're puppies, Mike, what did what do they do as puppies at, at at the farm, and and then how do you get them ready to proceed to the next level, sort of? Well, like the juvenile age, like if they're five or six, seven, eight months of age, um, they're they're grow up together, and and it's a fun time for them. Um, I guess take your analogy uh, that you brought up education. Dogs are no different. You're going to have alpha dogs that are. I'm going to just kind of put slash bully. So on the farm, you're constantly rearranging personalities with each other. And you kind of want harmony within each pit. And again, it's about keeping the dogs happy. And you'll have some dogs who are just a little more aggressive and maybe pick on another one. And I suppose if you're a teacher, you would recognize a similar thing in the classroom and you want to keep harmony in that classroom. So all the students learn sure. equally. And, and if you have that imbalance in, say, of a, a pen of three dogs in a big pen, and there's an imbalance there, then a puppy's obviously not growing up happily. So those are things you constantly, and by the way, I think that's almost a weekly thing around here where I'll move one pen out of this pen and put him in with another pen of dogs that match the personality. So, for example, a dog that's a little more aggressive and playing, he'll go with another pen that's more aggressive. And the pups that maybe were getting picked on, they're with other dogs that instills confidence and they become happy almost instantly. So and I think that's a pretty good analogy you're bringing up in terms of a classroom. <laughs> so. well, and, you know, that's, that brings up something that with what you were talking about, the, the stress and all that, I'm thinking it's a very important for our adopters to remember that when you're bringing in greyhounds into your home to, to be observant of the stress level. Uh, I just remember there was recently a story, some lady was getting divorced and she got to keep the greyhound, but the husband took the other dogs and the greyhound was just freaking out. Well, it wasn't well, used to apartment living right, either. Right, and that. And so she introduced a heavy load of stress to that poor dog at that time. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the number one issues that pet owners often sometimes face. They have a, they have a life and a job they have to tend to, and they may be terrific pet owners, but unfortunately there are times that they, they need to leave their pet by themselves and and some pets are used to that some aren't um different breeds handle those types of stresses differently um it's not as common in greyhounds but but they're usually pretty content especially if there was another greyhound st standing beside them yep uh, because they pretty much grew up that way um and and like i said i can't speak too directly because i've never you know i've, I've, I've grew 
you know, raise greyhounds and where they're always around each other. And there's a massive comfort level for them, you know. They're very good dogs in terms of group housing, um, whether it's just two or four or five. But the last thing I would want to do, and I, I quite frankly, I don't know that too many animals or species would survive very well or be very happy if they're just isolated like a solitary confinement in, in prison. That's treated as a, pre, you know, kind of a, as a punishment. But if they're with somebody, they're often very content. All right. Well, and you've you kind of helped blow another myth. I remember years ago, a guy, um, his name is Darren Riggs. He's now a board member of Gray 2K. He used to say, the people at the track at the farms, they didn't have any value to add to how to evaluate the greyhound as far as foregoing for adoption. And I even started, I remember him telling me that, and as through my educational process, it's like, that's a load of BS. These folks at the track, these folks at the farm have a lot to add to us in adoption in evaluating this dog and helping place it into the right home. That's just my opinion. Well, and especially learning yeah, I, traits that, you know, we as pet owners and adopters would not recognize, but those who have the experience every day with them um, know what they do, know, know what's what, know what sounds or motivations they react to. Again, no different than any other breed. Right. You know, I'm um, sure collies have little quirks and German Shepherds have quirks. Well, I know German Shepherds have quirks. I have them all my life. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, don't, let's don't even go into wiener dogs. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of also brings me to another point that I, I I'm actually have always been a, a bit confounded by someone saying that a farmer or you know, a breeder or, or trainer wouldn't have any value in, in, in evaluating a, a dog because you're the first ones that see them. You're the first ones that start working with them. And, and, and I'm not even sure the listeners even really know at what stages you start working with the puppies to, to bring out those natural instincts that they have. But you're the first ones Mike, you and, and the other the breeders and, and caretakers, trainers, you're the very first ones that see all of these different aspects. So you would be, in my mind, you would be the first ones to go to with questions about stuff like that. So, I mean, at, at what point, number one, I guess this is a, two, a two-pronged question I have for you. At what point do you start working with the dogs age-wise, um, you know, just little things that you might do with them as puppies, and then and then where do you progress into, you know, something a little more advanced, or it, does that happen within the certain pack, or does that go, like with kids, it's at an individual level, is it the same with the dogs, or do they do it more as, as the, the litter's? Or, or how does that work? And you've already touched a little bit on the separation of the personalities and stuff like that. But the, the other part of the question is, how do you, how do you think that, that my perspective would, would be something that has actually helped? Have, have you seen adoption in general? I guess, sort of come to that realization over the years is that 
as opposed to saying that you don't have the value and the worth there um, uh, as far as evaluating the dogs. Do you think it's because well, of adoption? Well, 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 can we, actually, can we hold that yeah, thought I, I, and we're going to go to break? Sure. We will be right back after all the dogs have been turned out and relieved themselves. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though, so this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. G-P-A. Yes, we are back for the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. You know, I don't know which song I like better, our theme song by Kicks or our GPA commercial song. You know, that kind of reminds me, I think we need to get a new commercial if any of our listeners are able to because that commercial was done by one of our listeners from years ago that's true so if you uh, want to give us a new tune send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com but right now we are going to have more with our guest mike strickland we are talking all things greyhound greyhound farms greyhound puppies training greyhounds all that cool stuff and i'm going to throw it back to tanya to pick up with her question before for our break. Okay, um, I'm going to try to simplify this a little bit because it was a, a very long, sort of long thought process going on in my head. Um, going back to what Rory said uh, regarding not finding the, the value of communicating with um, breeders and trainers. My first thought on that is that, number one, Mike, the question or, or, or what I would like for the listeners to understand is from the time they are puppies until the time they go to the track, sort of what the timeline is. Um, that would be the first part of my question. And the second part would be to sort of go into a little bit about how educating yourselves by communicating with breeders and trainers, what many of us in the adoption community have learned. Um, so just sort of taking us through those steps and, and showing the value of what is there from from birth till the time they leave to go to the track, and then what what the trainers and, and breeders do have to offer uh, for people okay. that don't know and, and are interested. Yeah, the, well, I kind of leave the going to the track pretty open ended. I don't like putting a, a time stamp on that. I, I always, you know, somebody says uh, if I train a dog for someone else. And I say, well, you know, when is my dog going to be ready to go to the track? And my common answer is when he's ready. Um, I don't think you, you know, just like people or individuals, they mature and ready for certain things in their life at certain points in their life. And dogs are really not too much different. Some dogs, you know, progress through training, um, socialization, and, and go to the track earlier than others will. And it, it has nothing to do with, you know, a dog goes trainer, 
goes to the track later in their life, say at 20 months of age, which is considered, um, you know, on the old side, but I've had many of those type of dogs be fantastic greyhounds. Now, if I put them at the racetrack before they're slightly ready for things, they're a little bit immature and don't adjust, you know, changing hands from person to person, little things like that, or maybe they're just not catching on to things quite as quick. Sometimes if you push them out the door too quick, you know, they won't have as quite as successful as a race career. And um, so there's no real timeline on that. Now, as far as when they're born, um, I have an 11-year-old daughter, and like most kids, or anybody for that matter, um, loves to basically just sleep in the box with the puppies and the pile of puppies and play with them. And, you know, it's not, we don't have a rigorous structure in terms of handling the dogs, but obviously handling them is important whether they're a pet or a race dog and and uh, but they start they're introduced to that kind of thing early on we don't drill it into them by putting collars and leading them the minute they're born but it's introduced on a daily basis just just based on the structure and life they'll go through in training um they have a lot of routine things happen to them when they reach uh, an age uh, of around 12 months when they begin training but but prior to that it's mostly about other dogs playing with other dogs in a very long pen my long runs for example for pups that are between 6 and 12 months old it's in a pen that's 500 foot long and 50 foot wide and they'll, I'll keep three dogs in that pen and it's it's not much different than I suppose you could say kids playing in the playground and, and they'll learn from each other, probably more than they'll learn from me. Uh, when they're born, they'll learn a degree from their mother. And it, it's, it's about, and, and from there, it's mostly about day-to-day care, health, and, and like I said, that pack uh, environment and that pack mentality where they're, they're happy on a daily basis. And like I said, if, if, if there's a, the chemistry isn't there, we'll move dogs around. When they begin training, that's when things become more, um, well, in the pet world, I, I, think, I think you guys have to stress that dogs can't be released on, off leash. They could run off. They could uh, overexert themselves. And it's really no different than the dog growing up. When they start maturing, they can overdo themselves. So that's where we start putting them in smaller pins and, and, and give them direction in terms of the amount of exercise they have. And, and they develop much better than if they were overexerting themselves sometimes. As a pup, they don't. They're like kids. They get tired, and they'll just lay down and fall asleep. Um, and then when they get their little rest, they'll get up and play hard again. But as they're adults, they, they have a more serious attitude about how much they want to run. That's before they've even really seen a lot of training. That's just natural with the breed. And, and again, I think you've had to stress that in the adoption community. Uh, that those greyhounds still still want to take off and run and run hard, even if they're five, six, seven years old. Um, but training, again, a lot of the natural traits are instilled in the greyhound to want to chase. I think the toughest thing I've ever heard being around greyhounds is they're forced to run and and they're forced to chase after something and it. That's just mind-boggling to me. It's 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 like it's like uh, you, you force your child to go play on the, the swing set. 
um, it, they're going to go do it. <laughs> so I was it, just thinking of the it, analogy of a child on a playground, or, or you, you don't force a child to want to play. And that was the exact thing I was thinking. Yeah, and and, and you don't, and you want to, you want the, the kids to learn how to play with each other too. Right. And and they'll they'll better communicate. I mean, maybe not on a complete intellectual level like humans do, but but it's healthy for them. It's healthy how they learn to deal with each other. Um, and I think that's a major built-in benefit. Um, I, you know, I did, I've learned a lot about adoption and the amount of work the adoption community does, which is just unbelievable. And I think a lot of notes could be taken uh, to, to the process that the, that the adoption community and Greyhound Racing does and apply it to other issues in the canine world. Um, because a lot of what we do and what raising our greyhounds, I, I, I really believe makes a, a, a direct benefit to that transition and then put that on top of the work that the adoption community does, uh, really makes a, a, a life of fulfillment for that animal. Definitely. And, I, uh, I, I would say the one thing I noticed with my first greyhound, which I adopted about 20 years ago, was and not knowing anything about greyhound racing or how they're trained or how they're brought up the one thing i just marveled at was how well behaved how well trained how obedient he was i didn't have anything to do with how cool my first greyhound was (laughs) (laughs) mike you had mentioned the uh, the want to they want to run and i immediately i was thinking of our old greyhound bobo who passed away what two years ago three three years ago he was i think at the time 13 going on 14 um we had taken him out to the front yard the old guy and I figured it was safe. He's an old guy, even though there was cats out there. And, and it's a fenced-in front yard. It was yard. a fenced-in front yard. And he's walking around. He sees the cat, and I could just see it. <laughs> he wanted to, but he knew he couldn't because he was just too old. So right. he, he trotted real fast, and then he looked at the cat. The cat looked at him, and the cat just walked away and just rolled in his eyes. <laughs> well, here, here's a... Here's a little fun question. I know uh, when we adopted our Sasha, he was just a youngster out of the farm there in Kansas, brought him home, and every day he would come running in from the backyard, come through the dog door. He'd be bringing in things, sticks and all that, and when we had talked to the farm, she's like, oh, yeah, that's what they do. They go out in their runs, they find stuff, and they bring it back in. Any, has there been anything, what's the most interesting thing that one of the pups has brought back in from the runs? Oh, from the runs. Uh, the amazing thing is rocks. I don't know where they find them, but they love to gather rocks out in the big runs, and they bring them all towards the gate in a pile where they just kind of play with them. And I, I don't I get to, you know, every once in a while I'd look out the runs, and I, what is he carrying around? And I'm not talking about boulders in their mouth. It's the, you know, a small-sized golf ball-sized rock, and, and, and he's bringing them all back towards the gate. And uh, I'd say that's probably the most interesting thing. I mean, most greyhounds, certainly on my farm, we use like empty plastic bottles for juvenile puppies, you know, four months old, and they're really outside playing all the time. And, and uh, they love tossing those empty water bottles. We'll put a little pebble rock and give it a rattle sign. But I love watching them throw that up in the air and catch it themselves. <laughs> And then they'll take, you know, they'll play keep away from each other all the time and run around in circles. But, yeah, that's, that's yeah, they'll bring anything that happens to be uh, 
they'll find it. If you don't know where it's at, you find it. If you lose your phone out there, there's a good chance they'll find it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you probably did just sort of answer both sides to my question there um, with my absolute um, astonishment that someone would think that you wouldn't have anything valuable to offer um, as far as information on a dog that would be going, coming into adoption, and I do think social media has a lot to do with that, that communication being opened up, um, you know, between adopters and, and breeders and trainers or caretakers and things like that of the dogs. Um, I, I find it absolutely well, astonishing that, add, that, that people... I don't mean to interrupt, but, but one thing I would add that's kind of... It, it's kind of interesting to go out in the pen. You you want to say hello in the morning and give them feed and stuff and, and give them a good pat and that thing. But when they're juvenile pups, generally speaking, they're, they're, I hate using the kid analogy all the time, but they're kind of like kids. It, yeah, they'll be around the grown-ups when they get cake. But <laughs> when they had their cake and, and uh, say you can go off and play, they run off with their kids. And, and juvenile pups at that age, you know, even six, seven, eight months, they generally, yeah, you greet them in the morning. They love to get a good pat, but for the most part, they enjoy playing with each other. And <laughs> and that that analogy is is really pretty accurate, very accurate. Well, and, and um, it's very obvious if you have ever been to a greyhound farm to see any of the dogs while they're oh somebody new oh let's sniff oh let's look let's you know we'll give them kisses and then they're like well they're back with their their litter mates and their buddies and they could give a care about you. <laughs> Yeah, are we done yet? Are we done now? I'm yeah. going to go do something. You know, that's kind of the attitude I get sometimes. Are, are, are we there yet? Can I go play now? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, st- I'm still laughing about the rocks because I do remember we had a gr- one of our greyhounds, I forget which one, she would carry around rocks once in a while because she was just living her Her puppyhood, puppyhood yeah. And you know, kind of a yeah. little, little bit with what TJ was talking about and with what I had brought up where somebody said, you know, that, we couldn't get anything value from the owners or the trainers, the farms or whatever. That was really what turned the page for me when I was sitting out at Apache Junction uh, by the Jenny Pit talking to the trainers. And I started talking about my first Greyhound, Alina Maria, that, that was the name we finally gave her. And I was telling the guy who was a trainer farmer out here in uh, Phoenix area, his name was Buddy, I forget his last name. And I started talking about this dark, this Greyhound. I said, and I gave him the race name and he just put his hand up and said, Dark brindle, scar on her back. I said, yeah, that was her. And he's like, yep. wonderful dog. I was like, and he, was, he just started talking about her. I said, well, who was her trainer? And he's like, I don't know. I don't really care about people. I just love the dogs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and that's not uncommon. You could reverse that scenario just as easy. <laughs> if you, t- you took this gentleman and, 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 and brought him to that dog, there's a pretty good chance that pup would recognize him immediately. You might see a moment of, of exuberance that, that, that the pup doesn't commonly display when yep. they, you know, they've seen their, you know, I mean, you got to keep in mind raising the dogs until they're two years of age to go to the racetrack. You're literally almost, you know, one sixth, one seventh of, of their life was spent with that, with that handler. And that's a pretty good sign to say that dogs pretty grew up, a pretty happy life and uh and i'm always even a trainer at the racetrack that temporarily handles the dog for you know years sometimes two years during its racing career they grow attachment mike have and, you um, oh sorry you, you can see that 
That's okay. Have you ever, um, you know, now I know there's an annual event in Abilene for the adoption crowd um, called Heart of America Greyhound Gathering. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you ever uh, met one of your former dogs uh, that has been adopted? Have you ever uh, been able to reconnect because of the gathering or haven't run into anyone yet? Yeah, some. Yes, um, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a moderate breeder, but but most most individuals that have to fly in from from all over the country sometimes can't bring their dogs. True. So, you know that while there may be a couple hundred people touring the farm, unfortunately they they weren't aren't able to bring too many dogs back. But um, yeah, there's been a couple. There was one stud dog that came back to see me, and and he he'd had some age on him at that time. But uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, it, it, it was it's it's pretty good feeling yeah. actually to, to see your dogs you know it's and and that social media has changed all everything definitely um, there, there's it is unbelievable how to you know I don't have that many friends but thank goodness in the adoption world I have lots of friends now and I get to see my kids uh, virtually you know they're posted on their social media right pages and I get to revisit them basically through social media at the bare minimum and it's a pretty satisfying thing to see. Well, when Rory touched on the the trainer that he knew in Apache Junction, and I I know TJ has probably encountered things during her adoption career. Um, the fact, well, I just lost what I was going to say. So. Well, that's why you're blonde. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a requirement. I will, I will reiterate a couple of things while you're thinking on that, Kathy. It is very true um, that that there is a special bond there. I've seen it with. Um, my personal dogs, as a matter of fact, my, my very first Greyhound um, that I adopted wound up in an elevator with um, one, of the, one of his trainers uh, two years later. And the, the trainer immediately looked at, at Charlie, was his name, and looked at me and said, is that Charlie? And this is after being adopted for two years. And Charlie only won one race. That was his maiden race. So it's not just it's not just the fastest dogs that 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 they remember. They remember they're all tre- so much they're more. All, all treated the same until they're two years old. I, I, I can't pick out who's going to be uh, you know quote unquote financial beneficiary you know dog in the litter. They're all treated the same in that sense, and there's attachment to either one. Some of the most favorite dogs I've ever owned. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm talking 20 years ago. I can stem back to a dog that that was a, a favorite of mine, and to be quite frank about it, there there are a couple of them weren't even successful at the racetrack, and and um, it, you know, I don't mean to sound too sentimental, but but your attachment to a dog's personalities and how they uh, how they enjoyed doing what they did didn't always translate in, into a, you know, a huge successful race career. It had nothing to do with it. Well, I think another... And, and that's an obvious truth, and, and I hope that one of those things jogged Kathy's it, it, <laughs> memory so, there for a second. As soon as I shut up, I remembered what I was going to say um, regarding social media. Um, I think it's really cool now uh, that adopters 
can go out there in the different forms and groups and say, hey, I have so-and-so dog. Does anyone remember them? And they will, nine out of ten times, get an answer, which is really rewarding for the adopter who is curious and who does want to know and who finds that an important part of their greyhound, uh, you know, ownership. Right. Well, speaking of rewarding, I know from our side, uh, when we leave the house, when we go away, like when we come to the heart of America, we have a dog sitter comes over and then there will be a helper for her. And there, our dog sitter was somebody who bred greyhounds, raced them. Her husband was is in the Hall of Fame. Um, the other guy, will, the other person that will come over, Bill Rice, he was a big breeder, farmer out here in Phoenix. And I think it was really neat for them. I could kind of see it that they got to see the other side of the whole process. They got to see the greyhounds in the home. And you could just see the, mm-hmm. the excitement that they had and seeing how... Th- oh, you can't get a good night's sleep because <laughs> most of them are in bed with you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness, badness. <laughs> but yeah, I, I see what you mean. That you know. So, so listen, Mike, um, next time you're out in Phoenix mm-hmm. or maybe when you're out in Nashville... One of us needs a dog sitter. We know we got you lined up. <laughs> you bet. You bet. <laughs> uh, well, the yep. problem with that is I don't believe Mike will be leaving the farm because <laughs> yeah. he has other dogs to tend to. No, that's pretty difficult to do. Oh, yes, yeah. vacation time when you have a greyhound farm. Um, do you do you get any? Do you have any free time? I mean, I, I mean, you I've know. made a couple of last couple of years. I've made more of an effort to to. Um, to take, a, a, you know, three or four days mm-hmm. if I can. Um, you know, some of that revolves, there's different levels of help. I, for a number of years, I had a real good helper, but not the kind of helper. He was a good helper to work with, not so much leave responsibility to, but I've got family close. Um, one of the helpers I currently have lives uh, at the farm, and uh, and, and that's, that makes me feel a lot better when I can need to take off for a day or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do see my parents who actually go to Arizona or live in Arizona. They're snowbirds in Arizona. So I get to see them, you know, maybe during the holidays for a couple of days. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, a little bit. But, you know, like I said, it kind of comes with the turf a little bit with all animals. I, I don't care if it's horses, cattle, hogs or anything. They're, they're kind of, if you love it, it, it doesn't bother you as much. Um, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you're not desperate looking for vacation time. Right now, you, um, as we said, uh, are a third generation, um, and I know you mm-hmm. have have a family. How are? And I'm mm-hmm. going to put you on the personal spot here. How are your children? How do they react to this? Do the, do you feel that they may continue the tradition, or do they just kind of go, yeah, this is what Dad does? <laughs> well, I think, well, my youngest daughter, I know she'd drop out of school at age 11 if I let her to go to the farm every day. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's not something, I mean, you kind of grow up with it. I, when I was younger, I, you know, I, I had an interest in, in all animals. And, um, you know, I, I came back from college to, to work with my folks on the family farm because at in the nineties, I ran a reproductive operation and, and, uh, we've had some of the best stud dogs at stud and we're very fortunate, very grateful to handle those kind of dogs. And, and I worked with my father and just two people, it was a full-time operation, but 
you know, a lot of farming in general, these family farms, it, they, you can't substitute hiring people to do the kind of things that have the same amount of heart put into it. My kids enjoyed being around dogs. Who doesn't like puppies and, and dogs in general? But it, it, it's, 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 I think it's really a good structure for a kid to grow up in. And now she's really into dog agility. She has a mini Australian Shepherd, and she travels AKC, um, 4-H, and that kept us really busy this summer, but something she really enjoys. And, you know, a lot of the principles in training a, a dog or uh, developing that, those kind of dogs to do those kind of events is, is both fulfilling for the dog and the child. And I, I've got a lot of, uh, enjoyed a lot, a lot, and I know she takes a lot of those same principles and that she's kind of grew up with greyhounds and applied it to a dog agility. And uh, That's she's got cool. a lot from that. Definitely. And well, she kind of makes it her own, you know. <laughs> it's, it, it kind of gives them a sense of responsibility, and I'm speaking about child, but it kind of also leads to purpose for the animal as well. Definitely. Um, when you take a dog to, well, the mini Australian Shepherd, you, you, you take her into the arena where there's dog agility stuff, that dog's eyes light up. Are we ready to do this now? And, and they're excited. If you took that greyhound to that same environment at a racetrack, you, I'm sure you, all three of you are probably you know, well aware of that, but if you, you're taking your pet to the racetrack, you will see that dog's eyes literally light up with excitement. Especially when they hear their and, roar. And 100, 110%, yeah. I can honestly say I have experienced that over and over again with my retired racers. My favorite video that I see on social media is and it's somebody that doesn't live near a racetrack, but they'll take their adopted dog and they find out where the dog raced and they'll show a replay on the TV or the speakers with a track announcer. The dog remembers and is excited and looking all over the place. So where is this coming from? And, and, uh, you know, some people may ought to try that because they, they do recognize the announcer announcing the dogs as they're paraded on the track, and they know it's showtime. And and uh, it's kind of like hearing that fight song from the glory days of playing football in high school. You know, there's a sense of excitement and something you enjoy, and it brings back flashback memories of something you grew up with. Wow. Mike, uh, we definitely want to thank you for joining us today on the Greyhounds Make Great Pets show. It's been a been an honor having you here. I think our listeners have learned a lot. TJ, Kathy, I want to thank both of you for helping host today. I want to give a big shout out to today's engineer Ryan and our producer Tacy. Thank you, everyone. Everyone, hug those hounds of the world. Ow! For listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.